This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. almost always, by Arnold Furious. Hello! And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the European section of the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame vote, which is happening, I guess, as we speak, and the deadline's coming up fairly soon? Mm, the deadline's in like four days, so by the time this is up, it'll probably have passed, but um, we're going to have a talk about it anyway. I say the European section. The The section is actually more of a, a catch-all, everywhere-else section. Um... I think the yeah the I've got the official title. Uh, I follow wrestling in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands, and Africa. Do you follow oh. wrestling in all those those regions, Arn? Because of course I do. I have watched an entire show from uh, Nigeria. If that helps oh. with uh, Paruti booked, it was dreadful. You're uh, you're well qualified then. You're well oh, qualified. Yes. Uh, we should probably probably stay uh, Arn for the. F- Kind of the first time this year you've been been given a vote for this? Yeah. Um, I had a ballot uh, about three years ago um, as part of the History of Wrestling team. We basically got sent a ballot, and uh, it was kind of to James Dixon, but he, he emailed me and said, who do you want to vote for? And we'll, we'll do like a collective uh, vote. Um, but basically, I don't go in the same circles as, as uh, Meltzer or anyone he hangs around with so I was kind of off his radar I guess so I've never had a vote before but I got one this year because of uh, Will Cooling um, who is constantly emailing uh, Meltzer about various bits and bobs and he got asked to recommend people who didn't have a vote uh, in Europe who should so I was on that list I think um, pretty sure Benno got one Mm. as well from that and somebody else so yeah, I do have a vote this year's first time. Oh, and and I should say I don't have a vote, but it's something I, I at least somewhat casually follow, uh, like who goes in or the discussions around it. Uh, and this year especially, I've been uh, taking a keen interest. Well, I tried to uh, I tried to get us to do a podcast about the European uh, possibilities. I want to say two years ago. It might even have been three years ago um because it was just something that i was interested in doing a podcast on and basically you and ollie were like we don't really know anyone that's on the ballot so that didn't happen i mean it it's still kind of the case like i'm i'm gonna be very upfront about i'm not gonna lie i've done some research for this um to varying degrees on on different guys but i'm very much not a world of sport expert which is where pretty much all but one of the European candidates come from, um, kind of by the nature of where the scene is at and how it's historically been. It's basically a, a historic category in the voting at the moment. Um, 
I think the the most recent guy is almost like Johnny Saint, which kind of says a lot. Um, and that's only because he kept wrestling like after he, re- he basically he retired and then he came back and he did a load of stuff like ten years ago, which people might know him from uh, wrestling Mike Quackenbush in Chikara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know the the ever popular NXT UK commissioner or whatever the the title is. I've never seen him actually cut a promo on that uh, on that show. Because I don't watch it. Well, I don't think I hear he he's actually not really does. Good. I I think they get uh, Sid Scarlet to be his mouthpiece, which is why you're having a commissioner with a mouthpiece is, uh, you know, it, it it's something. It's it's. Yeah, I guess a, that they wanted to pay tribute to the history of uh, of British wrestling, and that's the way they went about it. Which I mean, I can't argue with the logic of it. It just hasn't worked. I guess before diving deep into the 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 topic. Uh, the individual candidates, which we're we're, we're going to be doing, uh, we should probably for the for people who maybe don't follow uh, the Wrestling Observer uh, Hall of Fame, kind of go into what what it's all about. Uh, well, yeah, I guess it was the mid '90s, around '95, maybe '96. Uh, he started doing a Hall of Fame uh, for the Observer, and he sends out votes to uh, wrestlers, promoters, uh, journalists, uh, people who watch a shitload of wrestling. And uh, it's split into uh, categories based on what wrestling you've seen. So there's like there's a historical category, uh, there's a modern US category, and then it split into other bits of the world. Uh, Europe is not considered big enough to have its own bits, so we get lumped in with everybody else. Um, yeah, and if you get, I think it's sixty percent of the vote, you get inducted yep. into the Hall of Fame. And there's quite a lot of people in it. And it's 60% of the vote for people voting in your category, which is, you know, if I'm pretty sure there are these numbers are out there somewhere, but I don't have them in front of me at the moment, which is, you know, obviously brilliant preparation. <laughs> um, like the, the modern the modern US and Canada um, section gets the most votes each year. So for Junkyard Dog to get in, he needs a lot more votes. Uh, in order for him to get in, than say uh, Kenny Omega would in the 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 Puro category or um, Dominic Danucci in the Everywhere Else category, um, but it's all it's all percentage based. So for anyone who votes for a single guy in a category counts as a vote against every other guy in that category, which does occasionally cause cause some problems with with people dipping into to a category that isn't really their wheelhouse because they feel oh but i i liked uh la parker um in wcw i want to vote for uh, yeah i i don't feel i know enough mexican wrestling to confidently go i'm going to vote for la park i think he deserves to be in the hall of fame um but obviously somebody did because he went in like last year Right, and I think for him, a lot of the problem was it wasn't that he was a bad candidate, it's that so many people were jumping in, voting for it just for him in that category, and it was screwing over everyone else in the mm. category, where a lot of other people well, were. No one else got in from the Mexican yeah, category. there was a like real logjam. That was, that was it. <laughs> and I think for a few years before that, there'd, there'd been similar problems. So yeah, uh, the... The, the criteria for, for getting in, it, it comes down to, to three different categories that you're supposed to weigh. I don't think it explicitly says you're supposed to weigh them equally, but I think it's kind of implied. Yeah, uh, no, it, well, the wording of it is, uh, I haven't got it, the email in front of me, but it's um, 
that if you think they're particularly strong in one or or two categories, so if you think they're like the greatest in-ring wrestler of all time, but like nobody bought a ticket to see them, then you can vote for them based on that, which I think is fair. Right, yeah. It, I think a lot of the time there's almost, it feels like there's a slight bias towards drawing, but the three categories are drawing power, uh, being a great in, in-ring performer slash excelling in one's field in pro wrestling because uh, there are like managers in their own yeah. section, but also not their own section because it's a Meltzer <laughs> thing. So it's got to have certain Meltzerisms where... Oh, there's all kinds in there. They've got journalists. Uh, Jim Johnson's in there who does the, the music for WWF or, or did back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he still does. Probably not. Um, and, and they're weird because they're, they're listed in their own category, but the votes actually count for where, whichever category they would be in. So, like, if you vote for Jim Johnson, that, that counts as a, a vote for modern US, even though it's listed in the non-wrestling category. Uh, and That's then fi- very Meltzer, isn't it? It, it, it really is. Um, it, in some ways, you, it's almost got a unique charm because of it, because it's just so Meltzer. Uh, and then th- finally, the third category, that al- almost exclusively gets cited as influence, despite that word not appearing on the ballot. <laughs> well, the, the wording is positive historical significance. Yes. That's the way it's worded. But historical we just... significance in a positive manner, if we're being real pedantic. Yeah, like I said, I haven't got the email in front of me. I'm just kind of doing that from memory. But uh, yeah, we've always talked about that as influence, um, which it isn't. Yeah. It, I mean, they mean very similar things, um, but... And in general, I think people will just say influence because saying historical significance in a positive manner is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but, you know, the, I think we'll come to it, uh, come to that wording again later, especially when we're talking about Big Daddy, because I think yeah. the positive manner section is is something that can easily be overlooked, but is actually very important. Um, so with with something like this, I think it's it's kind of important to kind of lay out how we how we structure it, how we think of things um, before diving into the candidates and saying why we would and wouldn't vote for it. It's important to kind of lay the foundations. So the way I think of something like this, where we've got the three categories, is I think of it in kind of like a, a three-point system where across the three categories, I'm scoring someone from zero to three in each one of them, but... Very, very few people are getting on the high end of that. And if you can accrue three total points across the three categories, then I would vote for you. And if you're not, then obviously you don't get the vote. Um, Mine's now... like slightly more complicated, but basically the same. So I, I have um, like a one, uh, like a zero to ten um, for each category. And if you get twenty-two out of thirty overall, then I think you're good enough. Right, right. So, so it's, it's basically the same, but it's not quite it, so. It's similar ideas, yeah. So I'm, I'm giving like I like a wider range of of numbers to play with. Yeah, and I think I, I've kind of just leaning more on the the kind of the the simplicity, which in some ways can could run into problems, but it, it especially when you you're talking about people, um, on on kind of broad broad strokes, it, it easier to summarize in some ways. So I'm, so I'd give like a half tick. Um, for for someone who, uh, and and I'll, I'll talk from in ring because I think in in many ways that's easiest to to quantify kind of because everyone kind of knows what in ring is. It's it's how much someone enjoys their in ring, and in some ways it's the most subjective of the three categories. But uh, it's also kind of the easiest to to quantify. I think 
Um, so I'd give like a half tick to someone I think is a very good in-ring wrestler, but I wouldn't really consider them when I'm thinking of great wrestlers, even of like their company necessarily. So examples of that, and for for the three, uh, for for the four examples I'm going to give, I'm going to give one for uh, Japanese wrestling, one for uh, American wrestling for each. I'd say like a Kofi Kingston or um, uh, a Satoru Asako, like very good wrestlers involved in some great matches. But when you think of them, you don't go, yeah, he was an absolutely amazing wrestler. Not like a Hall of Fame level wrestler, but it, it they don't not have a case at all. So if they're stronger in some of the other categories, that can kind of be a supplementary thing. Then I've got my one tick. So if you get in one tick in all three categories you're in. Uh, I'm thinking of someone who is a great wrestler, who I do think of when I think of their company, their era, their region or something. And I go, yeah, they were great, but not really like one of the the very best, even in like their time period. So I'm thinking of maybe like a, a Yuji Nagata. Everyone loves Yuji Nagata. He's a great wrestler, but there haven't been too many times in history where you've really gone. Yes, he's like one of the best wrestlers alive at the moment. But he's very good. He's a Hall of Fame level wrestler in ring. Uh, US example, I'd maybe give like CM Punk. Great wrestler, had some great matches, specifically in WWE, weirdly. He's one of the few people who had better in ring stuff in WWE than actually on the indies. Great, but not like, not extreme to the level where it's like he's, if you're making a list of your, your top 20 wrestlers of all time in ring. I don't think CM Punk should make many of them, but he was a great wrestler and a Hall of Fame level in-ring wrestler. Then for like the double ticks, I'm really... When when you have a, a scale of zero to three, you don't, it's steeply curved. So when I'm talking about double ticks, I'm thinking for that category, they're one of the best... At some point in time, they had to be in the conversation for being the best in the world at their thing. But when you're looking at it as a whole of all of wrestling history, they're not quite in conversation for being the best of all time. So I'd say like a, maybe a Chris Benoit or a, or a Kenta, two amazing wrestlers. Uh, both of them in their primes were right up there for, with the best in the world in ring. But you, they're not really in the conversation for greatest wrestler of all time in terms of in ring. And then finally for the triple ticks, um, to get all three points, so that's enough to get in almost by itself without any of the other categories, they have to literally be in the conversation for being the greatest of all time in that category. So like a Masawa, a Danielson, that sort of thing. You put a lot of thought into that, Rob. It's very good. That That's that's kind of how I model it. And I think with with stuff like the Hall of Fame, when you're talking about it, it's important to understand how that person is modelling it, so to kind of give context to what they're they're speaking about, if if that makes sense. I think. Yeah, I I've thought about everybody that's on this list uh, very hard. I spent a lot of time on on each one of them, but um, yeah, I haven't really thought of it quite so mechanically. I guess even though I've done my little um, one to ten gimmick for each uh, for each attribute, I haven't gone into that kind of thought process not to that degree and and what in ring i think is a lot easier for you to do that with whereas like 
I where do you draw the line with with the like drawing power? I guess like has has main evented shows that drew X number of people, or like where's the where's the line? Yeah, there? drawing's already always a weird one because I I always like to consider context with drawing a lot, maybe more so than most people um, who who talk about the Hall of Fame. I'm less about the raw numbers and more about did their was their time on top an upswing for their company um in the context of of their time period that sort of thing because i mean you you look at like a, a john cena if uh, maybe that's not a great example uh you look at say uh kento miyahara i think it's undoubtable to say they are a draw but if you're comparing them to say the biggest draws in all Japan's history is your, your giant Babas, your Jumbo Sarutas. The numbers they're drawing are nothing. And they're not oh. a draw on anywhere near the same level. I, I think but they are still the, a relevant draw. Yeah, I think if you look at the numbers that over the course of the, the year, the, uh, like his first year on top, like Kenta Miyahara made numbers like across the board uh, jump up just because he was that good. Um, so yeah, I would say he was a draw, but like he was drawing... 2,000 people to Currican Hall. Well, probably not even that. But it was before that they were drawing like 700. So it's right. like he's like doubled the number. Yeah, so that's More that's what that. kind of what I mean by like context matters with drawing. Even it seems like it would be the easiest category because it, it's drawing power. You it's literally a number a lot of the times of attendance. But I think you do have to take context into account. Like I, I find WWE very hard to. To contextualize, it's like, would you say Randy Orton's a draw? Like, has anybody ever bought a ticket and gone, oh, gee, I'm really excited to see this Randy Orton match? Or did they just buy a ticket to a WWE show because it's a WWE show and he happened to be the champion at the time? I I would kind of lean towards the latter. But if you look at the numbers that he's done, like in main events and shit, he's done massive, massive numbers, but like, were yeah. they for him or were they just for the company? Yeah, at risk of going on too too long a tangent. Yeah, it's quite long already, um, isn't it? <laughs> I I think towards the beginning of his like when he was first bursting onto the scene, I feel like the that evolution when he split off from evolution around that period, he was maybe a an actual difference maker. But for the last at least ten years or so, he's just been another guy, very much so. Um. But yeah, so what we're saying is it's very hard to uh, judge criteria, and it's even harder with what we're dealing with in Europe because a lot of it is they're small numbers, and it's kind of hard to tell if the the needle has moved a lot uh, based on one person being there or not. So it's almost like you can't really use drawing power uh, for the European guys. A lot of it's gut. A lot of it's gut, and I, I think in some ways. A lot of it often comes down to less, like um, less drawing power and more star power because it's mm. kind of adjacent. And how how big a name someone was, how well known they were, like um, maybe we'll get onto it. But like in the case of Jackie Palo, how he kind of almost became somewhat of a crossover star, that sort of thing. While it's not directly drawing power, it's like adjacent enough that you can kind of use it to induce drawing power if that makes sense yeah 
Yeah, so that's what we're going to have to do, basically, because we don't have a lot of numbers, and it's very hard to argue the numbers for a certain person and more for the product, and the product was hot. And the, But the reasons for it being hot are quite often the wrestler in particular, so that will be helpful, I think. Yeah. Um, now... I want to I want to get this out in 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 front of this. I'm not going to pretend to be any sort of world of sport expert. Um, I was born after it ended by a fair distance. It's not a style I'm completely in love with, so I haven't gone back and watched a ton of it. Um, so I have done some research for this, but for the most part, I'm just going to kind of be <laughs> be laying out to Arn and being like, explain this guy's um, guy's take. Um, so yeah, let's start with Big Daddy, uh, the, the yeah. least controversial of all the all the uh, the candidates, of course. Um, Big Daddy is the name that always comes up. It's the, when uh, I found out I got a vote, I I mentioned it on I mentioned it on the timeline. I might even just mentioned it straight to to Alan Cheapshot, and his first reaction was, "Are you voting for Big Daddy?" It wasn't like anything else. It was straight to that point because at the moment it's such a controversial talking point among. Uh, most of the European wrestling fans as to whether he should be in or not. And uh, basically Dave Meltzer thinks he's a complete waste of time, uh, thinks he's a big load of shit and doesn't rate him in the slightest, doesn't think he belongs in there. I've heard an awful lot of counter arguments to suggest the opposite. Um, When I was a kid, uh, like f- I try and think how old I was when I first saw World of Sport. I must have been like, like four, I guess. Uh, watching it at my uh, on the floor at my grandmother's house. So like I I saw wrestling when I was really really young, and it really captured my imagination. And I I was really into uh World of Sport, but at the same time I hated Big Daddy. So I don't have that same... <laughs> a smirk from a young age. Yeah, and I hated him. He was just shit. So, like, I mean, even as a child, it's like he just stands there on the apron. I, I've I've never really been uh, someone who's been enamoured by big wrestlers just because they're big. And this guy, he didn't do anything. He just, he just stood there on the apron. He was obscenely overweight. And... I didn't see what the appeal was. And he had a bit of a nationalistic um, thing going on as well. And I hated that too. It's really weird because like when I was when I was a child, I hated Big Daddy. And then I tried to watch WWF and I hated Hulk Hogan as well. So I basically stopped. So, so there's like this this spell when uh, when I was like a slightly older child until I was a teenager where I didn't watch wrestling because I just hated the people that were like the main guys and big daddy is a big part of that however i'm well aware that i'm in the minority and that he was a very very large star um he had that crossover appeal they wanted to do a show um on saturday mornings which is like uh like big daddy's saturday show or something it was they actually wanted to base an entire uh saturday morning children's show around him and it would have been on like one of the main tv channels so he he was a huge, huge star in the UK. And I don't think uh, Dave Meltzer really appreciates how big he was. He was a household name in the way that Hulk Hogan is a household name to 
non-wrestling fans in the United States. Um, my mom knows who Big Daddy is. I feel like that's the, the tester. It's like you ask her to name a wrestler and it's like, uh, I don't know, Big Daddy. And you're not going to get much further than that because she has never watched wrestling in her life. So she, she doesn't know who anyone else is. And there is no one else in this country who has had that same crossover appeal ever. So like he's the the one guy that's that's really managed to cross over into the mainstream, stay there and have that cultural significance that so very few wrestlers have in any country. It's he's like our El Santo. He he's our Hogan. He's our Inoki. It it really is I think it's hard to kind of contemplate uh or or, or like understand the level of cultural like how relevant he is culturally even after world of sports been off the tv for what 30 well, am i doing my math wrong 30 ish years yeah um yet yeah, you this is completely anecdotal of course but um when i was first getting into wrestling i remember talking with my uh my nan about it and when when i like mentioned wrestling she she her response was oh is it like the olympic wrestling or is it the big daddy wrestling <laughs> and that's that's what it is that he's the first wrestler people of an age so i'd say probably 40 plus in the uk he would be the first wrestler non-wrestling fans think of yeah that's how that's built fair. in he is i think uh i'm i'm 43 and when i was growing up like uh, WWF had just started to to be a hit, so like late eighties. So like we're talking, I guess I remember uh, seeing like Hogan and and Savage uh, pictures when I was in first school. Like at the, at the so I'd have been like eight, I guess. So like nineteen eighty four, somewhere around then. So that that would be when uh, the WWF started taking over. Like before that, it was very much world of sport was was the wrestling, and he was pretty much by the end, from what I understand it, by far and away, some would say, to a problematic degree, uh, the biggest star. Like he, 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 no one was quite in his stratosphere. Uh, you had giant haystacks as kind of his foil. But other than that, that's that's the one feud that always gets brought up by uh, w- when you hear it. You first you hear Big Daddy, and then you hear, oh, he used to feud. It, they, they, people will then talk about his feud with Giant Haystacks, and that was almost like a, a cultural happening. That that to to the degree it was. But yeah, well, they, we, they built them both up. That was the the way it was done. It's like they built up a monster heel and a monster face, and then just kind of threw them at each other. That was, uh, and the matches were rotten. <laughs> like unbelievably bad. Right, and and when we talk criteria, he's getting points for for hall of uh, for for drawing power, or kind of by by uh, virtue of his star power. Easily, yeah, I I don't think you can argue drawing power. I know uh, Meltzer doesn't really believe that he was that much of a draw because of the numbers, but like the. He he was selling the tickets that were there. He was selling out the buildings that were there. He didn't have any of these uh, American style auditoriums to sell out, but like he he sold out everything else. He'd sell out shows in in minutes. 
And uh, he'd do some big TV ratings too. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he was a big, big star. And like the, the one thing that you can't argue, I think, uh, of the three criteria is drawing power. Like, there's absolutely no arguing that. I, I think it's the easiest thing that you could possibly say that he's got. Um, but I, we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, Rob, where you said you didn't feel like he was one of like the biggest draws of all time. So that would kind of mean he needed to be good at something else. Yeah, I... I... Going back to the the tick system I kind of outlined, I think you can quite safely say two ticks because he's one of the biggest draws of his era worldwide and one of the biggest stars of a region ever in that region. But by almost by virtue of where the region was, because as you say, they didn't have those big, big like stadium shows he wasn't drawing hundreds of that well hundreds of thousands is an exaggeration but you know he's not drawing tens and tens of thousands to a building at once he was never running a building that could run tens of tens of thousands because that wasn't what the scene was but to really be in that top top echelon where it's like you can get in based on that category alone i want you to be in the conversation for greatest of all time in that category and i don't think you could really make that argument for him yeah no you probably agree with that but at the same time he is like the single biggest draw in the history of the uk yeah which is a pretty big place to be and for that alone you you could argue that i can see the argument just for that i can see the argument um if there was anyone who who would go in based solely on drawing power from the uk scene it would have to be him uh, unless there's, you know, the, there's someone I'm unaware of from like the 40s who was some mega star, but I, Big Daddy is the guy in terms of he is wrestling in this country. You, you can make some argument for Jackie Palo for being a, yeah. a big draw, but a Big Daddy for me, even historically, is like the big draw. So, yeah. Now, second category in ring performer, no one's oh, arguing shit. he's getting any Absolute points there. Shit. <laughs> Um, so he might it, be the worst professional wrestler I've ever watched like more than one match from and and the scary thing is uh, Giant Haystacks, his big foil he he's also a, a candidate for, oh, absolute for that dirt worst yeah. Um, they managed to find the guy bigger than Big Daddy um, yeah those those matches there they were just two big fat immobile guys and they had terrible matches together and with they, very loud crowds yeah yeah um but damn, were they over? That's uh, it's something. So it all kind of, for me, it comes down to uh, the significance, the positive yeah. significance. And I've had this argument with uh, with Alan a couple of times, where every time he he argues something that he considers to be influence, um, I would argue that it's merely his drawing power. So he said that uh, because. Uh, Big Daddy was drawing these big crowds in. Everyone else was getting uh, a piece of the the exposure, as it were. So, like, the <laughs> yeah. undercard wrestlers were getting exposure based on, like, Big Daddy drawing the, the numbers in. <laughs> well, the, the word drawing is involved there. That does kind of indicate what category that should be under. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, like, we, we, we had this back and forth for a while, and he was trying to, to argue that 
there was a, a degree of influence there, but everything that he was coming up with, I'm going, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's still just him being a draw. It's not, he's not having a positive influence anywhere. I feel like the wording though is, is where it's important because if it was just influence, uh, if it was just influence, I, I would look at it and go, I don't think he's influenced anyone to be a wrestler in his, in his vein. Like there is not, a mass of like guys who came through after Big Daddy going like that's the way I want to wrestle, that's the way I want to be remembered. See, Everyone just hated it. <laughs> so I think you could you argue he's I think you could argue he's ve- he was very influential in the sense that he played a large part in wrestling not being a thing in the UK. Now, to some degree it's obviously uh, and a lot of experts have talked about it and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna trust them when they say it's overblown to say that Big Daddy killed wrestling in the UK. It was not him at all. It was not him solely anywhere near at all. But he was a factor. Like, you just talk to people uh, fr- from that era. And while Big Daddy is is the first person they go to, again, this is anecdotal, but talking to my grandparents, they, they would talk about... Big Daddy's the first name that comes up, but they talk so much more fondly about the Mick McManus and Jackie Palos of the world. Uh, and then they, they talk about Big Daddy and they kind of smile about it, but they talk about how it kind of became a joke. And it was a joke that, that was a big a big thing culturally, but it went from wrestling being kind of like taken seriously to being a joke. And then in the end, it was kind of dropped from being part of the sports programming. Yeah. Now, would it have been dropped anyway? Maybe. Um, but I can't see a way where you argue he had a positive significance. He was very significant, but I don't see the positive argument. Yeah. So uh, I, had, I had a quick word with uh, Mo Chatter about this. Um, and the suggestion is that. Uh, so in the seventies, when like he started to come through uh, as a star, it was the uh, like a real revival for the for the TV ratings. So the ratings had been going down because the guys who had been around for ages before, like Mick McManus, like Jackie Fowler, uh, people had gotten bored of them because they'd just been around forever. Um, so Big Daddy, being a star when he was probably help wrestling stay on television longer than it would have done that's the take from from mo and i kind of support that because i think of like how uh wrestling had this revival um in the late 70s into the 80s and a lot of it was based around big daddy being popular and it drew people to watch the show whereas if you didn't have that, I think they would have basically gotten bored with it and and left, and you wouldn't have had those numbers, and you wouldn't have had that that big uh, run late seventies into the eighties because it just wouldn't have been on television, and it would have dropped off into a the working men's clubs earlier than it actually did. Uh, that's the argument. For, for Big Daddy basically saving the scene. And admittedly, he didn't learn from the, the lesson from the the crowds of the 70s who were bored of the status quo because as soon as the next generation of fans came along, like me, 
Uh, I just didn't want to see him because he was the status quo and he was boring and fat and useless. And I wanted to see someone different on top. And that was never going to happen while he was there. Um, WWF had the same problem with Hulk Hogan. Uh, they basically moved him out of the company in uh, like 92, 93, um, because he wanted the belt <laughs> again. And it's like, well, we need to try someone else because you're actually driving viewers away because people are sick of you. And that was the Big Daddy story. It's like, yeah, he, he saved it for a long time there, but people did eventually get sick of him and there wasn't somebody else to put in his position because of how dominantly he'd been booked for, for many years. Yeah. The, so you can make an argument both ways. The way I've seen it described in the past is, uh, and kind of from a, a balanced point of view of the, like, for, on one end you have the people who are like, well, Big Daddy killed British wrestling, which is not necessarily... You know, it's it's definitely at minimum it's a huge oversimplification. And on mm. the other the other end of it was that Big Daddy just saved British wrestling for for a while. I feel like you could make a stronger argument for the latter than you could for the former. Right. And what I what I've seen from some people is that he's he prolonged British wrestling, but in doing so turned it into a joke that it couldn't couldn't recover from. But it. But it was a very popular joke, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I feel like the, there was enough uh, undercard guys who were still wrestling the same uh, style that people wanted to see. So if you were uh, more of a purist and you wanted to see like uh, good technical stuff, that was still happening right until the end. There were guys who were working that style and they were they were successful with it. Um, it just became that Big Daddy was the number one star. And maybe the the problem should have been that he should have uh, put some people over and kind of moved to one side and been more of a figurehead for for the scene rather than the number one in ring guy. Would you? Are, are you are you voting for him? I don't know. You're still undecided. Yeah, I've been on the fence this, for literally since I got the ballot. I've been debating whether I should vote for him or not. Um. And it basically comes down to whether I believe he was a big enough positive influence on the scene for long enough to offset the fact that he was so shit. Um, basically, he was a shit wrestler. There's no doubt about that. But he was also hugely important to wrestling history. And does that mean that your Hall of Fame is incomplete because he's not in there? Um when I was doing my point scoring system, he didn't make it to 22 because basically he, you would need, even if you maxed out the other two, you would need like at least two out of 10 yeah. for in ring. And I think he's possibly a zero. Well, as you said, he might be the worst wrestler you've ever seen. So, yeah. you know, that's, you shouldn't be scoring many points in the hall of fame no, criteria there. Not at all. Um, so I, while I think he is a very strong candidate, it's uh, to be honest, there's, there's strong arguments both ways, and I find it very difficult to to decide what to do. Um, I will probably vote for him on the sole basis that it'll make Alan happy, and then also vote for Ed to upset him. It's like you, that's two horrible decisions there. But <laughs> rough and smooth. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm not going to vote for Edge, but um, yeah, it's. The temptation is there. I still haven't decided. I will decide literally when I send the email, but it's a 50-50 for me. 
he's a guy that if I had a ballot, I don't think I would vote for. Um, just because I, I, I would be open to hearing someone explain in in, in almost more detail and pointing yeah, to more things. You get that argument every single year that why is he not in? Um, I feel like you you wouldn't have that argument if people didn't strongly feel that he belonged in there. And if yeah. you look at some of the people that are in there, um, it feels like he probably should be. See, it, like I, I, I'm in general against the stance of like the bar is the weakest person in there because I think there's always going to be some mistakes. I think everyone with... on this ballot <laughs> should get in based on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, like th- there are some mistakes that happen, unfortunately, um, as with any like voting thing. I mean, look at Brexit. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah. I think I would just need to be persuaded on the the uh, the positive influence, uh, positive significance. Um, yeah, well, I think yeah, you have to look at that as a the resurgence of the scene that happened in like the mid seventies. Yeah, that I, that wouldn't be there without him. I think you could you could argue that there may have been no wrestling on television from for like my entire life uh, until. They did the revival um, recently. There's a there's a good chance that that might have happened if Big Daddy hadn't been the star that the scene needed when he arrived in the mid seventies. Yeah, well, I, I guess like you're kind of winning me over. You're kind of winning me. Over. He's definitely a guy I can understand why people would vote for him. Where there's some candidates where you like you get confused seeing people vote for them. Big Daddy's a guy where like I get it completely. Um, but I also understand why people wouldn't vote for him. Like it, he's a perfect like fence candidate, I think. Yeah, which is why I'm still on the fence about him. Oh, but at the go. same time, I think I probably should vote for him because he is like like I said, he's the biggest name in the history of the country that I live in. So like it'd be like me living in Mexico and going, well, well, sure, Al Santo was a was a big name and he was really really famous in my country, but like I just didn't like him. Yeah, because that's that's what it comes down to. And yeah. if we're voting for him as a wrestler, like I'm going to say no because like he sucked. <laughs> so it's that's the choice that I have, and I feel like from the perspective that I'm coming from, I probably should vote for him. Yeah, I, I can see it both ways. Let's 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 move on because I think we. Yeah. Well, that was always going to be the one that yeah. took up the most time. Yeah, so. That that's for the most part the one that's always brought up almost at the expense of all the other yeah. conversations that happen. And there, there are a lot of other. If if he gets in, we can start talking about other people, which would be good. <laughs> the next guy on the ballot, though, we're not going to have a whole lot to say about because uh, Billy Joyce was around from like 1942 to the mid 70s, mm. and there's not a lot of tape out there to begin with. Um, uh, I can't find anything. I deliberately went out of my way to look for tape and I can't find anything. So now he's, he's spoken of very, very highly. Uh, he had a hand in training, Carl yeah. Gotch and Billy Robinson and uh, Billy Robinson, like once went on record and said he was the most complete wrestler of his generation without, yeah. about, without a doubt, the best technique, the best technical wrestler I ever met or wrestled. And that's high praise coming from someone like Billy Robinson. Yeah. But, there are people out there who think of him as like the best guy to ever come out of the snake pit in, in Wigan. 
and that includes a lot of very big names. So for him to be held in that regard, well, that explains why he's on the ballot, basically. But the vast majority of people that are voting for this have probably never seen Billy Joyce wrestle. The fact that I've never seen Billy Joyce wrestle is, I think, speaks volumes. I watch a lot of stuff. Right. And he's he's a guy that I get the impression a significant chunk of his argument is in-ring. So it's incredibly hard to vote yeah. for someone when their case I, is built on in-ring and you haven't seen them. I feel like based on the, the people who talk fondly of him and that have uh, learned from him, there's a historical significance attached to him as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't really know what it is. So it's, it's almost from a point of ignorance that I don't feel like I can vote for him because I just don't know enough about him. It, it it's one of those things I think where it's like it's almost too late for him. Even if he is, he might be a Hall of Famer level wrestler, but because of the nature of when his career was and when we are where we are now in 2019, there's not a significant enough section of the voting base that was around when he was around that he's ever really got much of a chance, unfortunately. Um, now I, I often do kind of lump in like people that you've trained. I kind of stick that into the historical significance. Like if you've trained a bunch of great wrestlers, I see that as you being historically significant in a positive manner. And, you know, Carl Gotch and Billy Robinson are two very highly regarded wrestlers who he's, I'm not sure if he was fully their trainer or just had a hand in their training, but it's. But that, that again is part of the problem. It's like yeah. we don't really know what uh, what he did uh, during his career. So that vagueness that's out there, I'm just going to have to do more research on him and see what I come up with over the, the course of the year just to see if I can find some footage for starters because at the moment I'm just nothing. There's a similar uh, kind of conversation that we're going to have about um, George Kidd, although he, he skewed a little later. So I think you said you'd yeah. seen a little of him. Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of George Kidd. Um, he retired in uh, nineteen seventy six, so he actually retired just before I was born. Uh, so I, I kind of had to to do some research uh, on him because obviously I didn't see him uh, as a nipper. But um, he was on uh, TV a little bit. There is some World of Sport stuff that you can see. Uh, I the first time I saw him was when World of Sport was doing the reruns on the Wrestling Channel, and he's one of these guys that like will immediately catch your eye because of his uh when people say like british style there are certain people who kind of like pop into their mind like like a johnny saint would pop in there um a guy he uh, trained uh yeah who he trained um so the style that george kidd uh used is basically what we think of as british style wrestling um, and he did that because, uh, like he was much smaller than his opponents. So when he, he was getting in the ring with people who were outweighing him significantly, he would just use unorthodox, uh, technique, um, to better them. And that is basically what, um, Zack Sabre Jr. is doing right now. And that you can kind of trace back to, to George Kidd. Uh, George Kidd uh, was a champion for 26 years <laughs> at his weight limits. I, I love old wrestling because it really yeah. just 
time just feels so different now to then. Like, you, you, you look at, like, Okada's recent uh, IWGP title reign that everyone was like, oh, it when is it going to end? And it lasted, ju- what, just over a year or something? Yeah. And then you, you go back and you have these, these guys with these, like, decade-long reigns, decade-plus. It was... Uh, time, time moves slower back then. Well, people didn't get sick of him because he was just so entertaining. And he he was... Very good at uh, comedy wrestling. Uh, liked to kind of put those bits in there. But also he knew his worth uh, to a live audience, so he didn't get overexposed on TV, so people don't hate him like Big Daddy. Um, I am tempted to say that without him popularizing the style that he had, you may never have gotten guys, smaller guys like Johnny Saint, like, uh, Mark Rocco, like Dynamite Kid, they would not have had the platform to become the stars that they became. Uh, you could argue that they were just so good that it would have happened anyway, but like George Kid was there before any you've, of those. You've got to give credit to the guy that did it um, and was the first guy to do it because while while you 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 can go well, maybe these other guys would have broken through you do have to give credit to the guy who did break through. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of changed the game. Um, that said, uh, when he first won his world title back in 1950, uh, <laughs> there's, there's so little um, footage of anything from back that far back that I really don't know what the general style was like then. I, But from what I can gather he popularized a lot of the stuff that we look at as British wrestling, the unorthodox stuff. And I think um, something that's going to get brought up kind of a lot, and we should kind of go into depth a little bit of that until big daddy's era of world of sport came around, there was a, a very high rotation of guys who were making it on TV. It wasn't, you weren't seeing the same guy every week, despite the show being on every week, to, to my understanding anyway. Correct me if I'm wrong, of course. That's uh, kind of how I remember it. You would... like it, Even like in the Big Daddy era, it's like they'd save him for uh, like one-off appearances where he'd be in a tag and he'd squash someone. And... Mm-hmm. Like, he, we'll get on to, to Jackie Palo uh, next, but he was a guy who was probably the biggest star for for a, at least a while in the UK. And yet there were years during that stardom where he was on TV, like, I think it, his lowest year, he was only on TV five, five times that year. And yet he was the biggest star of that year. And so I think that does it play... It was a very different time. It does play a large factor into, like, kind of... There's so less, you know if anything, underexposure rather than overexposure kind of help these guys stay on top for these decades at a time. Yeah, compared. that's why George Kidd has his 26 years as a, as a champion because like he, he was aware that he didn't want to get overexposed by being on uh, World of Sport all the time. So he was cautious about how many bookings he took for TV and they were very spread out. Of what you have seen of him, um, how much did you enjoy him in terms of him? Oh, I thought he was excellent. The, so, um, he, I feel he was very much ahead of his time. Uh, he was just... It's like the 
Like, who's the first like British style guy that you saw, or, like ever? Uh, it it might be Johnny Kidd. Like, it's probably him or Saint. Yeah, because it's for like people in in this, in this country that was like their first exposure would have been in the in the fifties and sixties would have been George Kidd. Mm-hmm. So. I, I feel like a lot of his work holds up as well, which is cannot be true of an awful lot from the the sixties and seventies. He was actually very entertaining, as well as being very technically sound. Obviously, like finishes back then were <laughs> it was a simpler time, shall we say? But um, like he he did something akin to the Lady in the Lake, which uh, Johnny Saint took off him and uh, used more frequently. But yeah, he was a very good wrestler. Is there much evidence of him being a big star? Uh, with withdraws, it's very hard to tell. Um, I've seen footage of him wrestle in Scotland where he was like a a, a national hero, uh, and they were pretty sizable crowds, fairly rabid, and he was basically the show. So I feel like you can make an argument for draw. Uh, obviously, he has historical. Uh, significance because of the the amount of people that have followed in his footsteps, and he is a very good wrestler as well. So, like, I I am strongly tempted to vote for George Kidd. It it sounds like he's got an argument in all three categories. So, yeah, it yeah. seems like a, a well rounded candidate. Yeah, if if I don't vote for him, or if he doesn't get in, which I don't think he will, um, there's a chance that I could spend the next year kind of looking up more footage and seeing if it's if he's just a bit one note-ish or whether there's more depth to it. Mm-hmm. But from what I've seen, he ha- he can do serious, he can do comedy, and he was technically very good. So the next guy up is uh, Kendo Nagasaki. And again, this is very anecdotal, but from a lot of the people I've talked with about World of Sport, from like a, the older generation from this country, the as we say, the Big Daddy is the first name that comes up, and then it's of, of, often followed by giant haystacks. Then they go to Jackie Palo and Mick McManus as kind of the the second feud that they think of, and then the that's fifth the historical guy, one, really. Yeah. Palo and McManus. Yeah. And then the fifth guy is usually Kendo Nagasaki. He's usually the fifth guy they bring up. It's the mask that they 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 think of the the kind of the mystique. Um, yeah, uh, how, how significant uh, and how how big a star did you did you consider this guy? Uh, well, I remember watching uh, Kendo Nagasaki when I was a child because he he like Big Daddy, he was a larger than life figure. So it wasn't so much like the other wrestlers who just came out and and did their thing. He had this whole look that you just had to pay attention to it, like. Even as like a very small child, I remember him. So uh, I basically pieced it together as being around 1981 when he had a comeback because that would fit in with when I was about five years old. So I'd have probably seen him and just, yeah. Um, So if you look at uh, everyone else in the, the same era, it was very much boots and tights and keeping it basic. Whereas, yeah, Nagasaki was this uh, invader from the Orient who didn't play by the rules. But uh, obviously he was his real name was Peter and he was from Stoke-on-Trent. So <laughs> um, 
I I think he's 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 got to be very high up for um, being memorable. I would say very high. Uh, they had him at uh, when the Wrestling Channel did a super show in Coventry. They had Kendo Nagasaki come out for a ceremony, and the pop he got was just astoundingly big. I was not expecting that at all. I was expecting it to be like people are like, Who, who's this guy? But the, the pop was enormous. And that was mostly guys who were younger than me uh, in the crowd because I'd have been like, uh, I'm trying to think what I, how old I would have been, maybe around 30 at the at the oldest. Um, and a lot of the, the kids in the audience were in their early 20s when that happened. So the fact that they knew who he was shows that there was a lasting legacy for, for the gimmick uh, and for the guy behind it. He's not a guy I've seen a ton of. Like I've, I've seen like interviews of him for like documentaries and stuff, but in terms of his actual in ring, he's not a guy I've, I've seeked out a lot of, a lot of this stuff. How, how did he hold up? In the ring? I thought he was okay. But not a Hall of Fame level or anything. Like no, that. not at all. So that that's not where I, he's making this case. No, no, I feel like it's the gimmick that uh, that's got him over. I like the fact that um, I, I don't know what his name was, but the there was an actual Japanese guy who uh, who did the Kendo Nagasaki gimmick in uh, Real Japan, the one that uh, Sayama trained people for, mm-hmm. uh, with like a Union uh, Jack on his uh, gear. So it was like a art mirroring art as a Japanese man pretends to be an English man <laughs> pretending to be a Japanese man. <laughs> wrestling. Yeah, there's an awful lot of people who are very wrestling. There, there was a lot of people who uh, were very invested in the character and a lot of what he did was was stupid, uh, like hypnotising Robbie Brookside. But at the same time, I remember it. He was someone who was in general considered a draw, considered a big figure. Yeah. Yeah. I you have to remember the, the era that he wrestled in um needed star names. And the one thing that really counts against him is that he was a bit flaky and kept like leaving. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that established run. I felt like Kendo Nagasaki is somebody who could have been like the big star in British wrestling, but he never was because he didn't want to be. Yeah, like he, his career was like several two-year runs or one-year runs intermittent yeah. with breaks. Yeah, but he was tremendously over and people did like him to a, to a degree where if you said he was now the main guy, that wouldn't have upset people. They'd have been quite okay with it. I would find him very hard to vote for because the thing, the reasons why uh, he would be going in are based around uh, gimmicks and angles and such. And I feel like you you could have put pretty much anyone behind that mask and done the same thing. You'd almost give more credit to the promoter for booking the angles that sort of yeah thing. yeah they were good storylines but like at the same time it's uh, yeah the, as a worker he was fine so then moving on to a guy from a similar probably 
slightly earlier on both ends era, uh, Jackie Palo. This is a guy who, through my research, and there's an excellent article up on um, uh, Meltzer's website, uh, Fig- Figure 4 Online or whatever it is, um, if you search up uh, Making the Case for Jackie Palo, there's a huge essay on him. And there's, there's actually an essay on George Kidd that I read on there as well. Oh, okay, cool. I, I, I didn't get that one. I'll, I'll have a read. But it, it, it's very good and it, it, it's very in-depth. And by the end, it's incredibly convincing. Like, he's a guy who, from my research, seems like a somewhat of a no-brainer, really. Yeah, well, uh, in terms of star power, there's the only person you could argue was, has more right to be in there for star power would be Big Daddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackie Palo was, was a huge star. Uh, it's a little bit before my time, so he was, like, 60s and 70s, and the point at which... He was finishing, uh, was the point at which like Big Daddy was coming in, and that's kind of when I was growing up. Uh, he kind of fell out of uh, grace as well and became kind of a persona non grata uh, because he published an autobiography in, I want to say, 1985, which was called You, you Grunt, I'll Groan, which was... Uh, basically saying wrestling's fake, which did not... Um, didn't go down well. No, it didn't make him very popular with uh, the, the British wrestling elite, shall we say. So, like, as, as a child, I never heard the name Jackie Palo. I don't think he was ever mentioned uh, because he just wasn't popular with the boys based on what he'd written. Uh, his career was pretty much over at that point, and he was just pissed off and hated it. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, when, before that, uh, when it was him and, and Mick McManus as the top guys, he was uh, an absolute mega uh, baby face. Had the crossover appeal that, that Big Daddy boasts as well. Um, he was on television. Uh, he was uh, a big star in Panto as well. Uh, so yeah, when it comes to uh, drawing power, I think again, uh, Jackie Palo is a no-brainer. Um, have you ever seen him wrestle? I've seen the the big Mick McManus match um, from I think it was the Royal Albert Hall. Um, might be wrong on that one, but um, yeah, and he he didn't blow me away or anything, um, but you know. Y- when you're comparing him to someone like a Big Daddy, which was kind yeah. of the era that followed, it's it's worlds ahead. Although, really, it was Mick McManus that was the more impressive in-ring wrestler from what oh, I yeah. see. Yeah, um, Mick McManus. Well, he's already in. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's in the Hall of Fame, and he does belong in the Hall of Fame. Um, I would suggest that a lot of the reason for Palo being a big star is that he had Mick McManus to bounce off. Right. And if you ever watch matches of, of Jackie Palo where he's just wrestling like a jobber or something, uh, they're not very good, I don't think. I, I find him dry. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, but while, while, while I would, you know, obviously a, a lot of it, I'm hearing it secondhand, but I'd be inclined to agree with what you just said. It did seem that in the end, he was a bigger name than McManus. 
like he became a bigger star, even if it was because of McManus, he was the the biggest star, became yeah, far bigger only, a crossover star. Only because he was the baby face. Like, uh, I mean, Mick McManus was somebody who I, I watched on TV as a kid, and he he looked like a really angry uncle, like a pissed off drunk uncle who's going to beat you up. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Jackie Palo was just I don't know he he didn't do anything for me as a an in ring guy and but I, I understand what you're saying about the the star power um, I just happened to have his Wikipedia page open and it says uh, uh, 1964 a date sold out in three hours pa, so progress uh, lasted them pro- um, yeah it's um, but that's the level that you had because like you don't get that kind of uh, comparison in modern times because it's online so everyone yeah. can buy it like there and then. This is people queuing up at a mm-hmm. building to to buy tickets to a show. So you'd, you'd have people queuing around the block just to get a ticket to see Jackie Palo wrestle. So he was a big deal. I believe I'm right in saying that the highest ever rating that uh, World of Sport did was uh, a Palo McManus match. I don't know, but like uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And he, and as you said, he, he kind of he fell out of wrestling a little prematurely because of the book he wrote. But even before that, he'd he'd stopped showing up on World of Sport because he'd had a falling out with joint promotions. And in many in many ways, that was kind of seen as the the decline, the the beginning of the decline of British wrestling and World of Sport. That Big Daddy was kind of boosted back up initially um him kind of falling out with with uh, world of sport and joint promotions that was kind of creating world of sport that was kind of seen as the beginning of the the decline yeah he definitely had that star power about him and like he was hard to replace um yeah it, it's tough this is uh very similar to big daddy in terms of like whether you'd vote for him i asked alan if you voted for him and he said yes so from a historian's point of view, he feels that the Palo should be in just for the star power. See, you doing the research, I was kind of thinking he he did seem like a no brainer, but you the the way you're laying it out is that while he was a better wrestler than Big Daddy, it wasn't to a degree that's, that's a anywhere, low bar. I feel anywhere near Hall of Fame worthy. So really, you're looking at a very similar case, and he was a slightly smaller star, probably. Um, uh, different I mean, eras, you but... can make it. You can make an argument for him being a star close to the level of of Big Daddy, um, but like earlier. And because I don't really have anyone to ask uh, <laughs> who's that old, I can't really say one way or the other whether he was uh, on like Big Daddy's level as a, as a star. Um, yeah, but, but the, the fact that Mick McManus is in the Hall of Fame should tell you what you need to know about that feud. And if you think that uh, Palo as a babyface was as important to that side of it, then you could put him in just just based on that. Okay, so ne- next guy up, we've got uh, Mark Rocco, um, black the original Black Tiger over in yeah. Japan, um, and then obviously a, a big part of the the seventies of uh, World of Sport and and the eighties, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Rocco it, uh, was a really, 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 really good professional wrestler. the The fact that he was going over to Japan and was the foil that they needed for uh, Sayama's original 
Tiger Mask, I think that speaks volumes about how good he was as a professional wrestler. Uh, he, you could argue uh, his case is a draw uh, in Japan and in Europe. You can argue about the significance of that uh, that first run as Black Tiger for how important he was in terms of like historical significance. You could argue that he's almost as important as the first Tiger Mask because you need that balance. You need that uh, that dark uh, for the the light to shine. Uh, <laughs> he was hated by fans in a in a way that you just don't get that kind of hatred, that pure hatred anymore uh, for his like behavior, his cheating. The fact that he broke the rules, even though he didn't need to, because his his technique was so good, uh, and he was a really good promo. Which is a lot of these guys that um, from European wrestling, I'm not convinced of their promo skills. Whereas Mark Rocco uh, was a good promo on any category that you want to put him on. He was just he was fucking great. Sounds like you're voting for him. I am definitely voting for Mark Rocco. I was trying to make the case for him in, in Oberhausen. Uh, I'm not convinced a lot of people are voting for him, but they should, I think. So, so, so I guess your argument is he takes all three boxes. He was definitely uh, yeah, a great in-ring yeah. wrestler. I think the, the lowest part of it is uh, as a draw, because um, you could argue that those uh, matches out in Japan were not headline matches. Uh-huh. But the fact that um, WWF are using him as the foil as well for uh, Sayama, I think that shows how important he was. And he wasn't used all the time as as the opponent because um, obviously Tiger Mask wrestled with the people. But uh, he was the main villain for him. And that is the argument for, for a draw that he was the other side, the right. flip side of that. Yeah. The, the, the two... And Tiger Mask as a draw was, was definitely a draw. The, the two opponents for, for him, it's, you know, maybe one A Dynamite Kid, one B Mark Rocco, maybe even the other way around. It's, yeah, both extremely important to that, that character and that, that role. Yeah. Um, Johnny Saint next up, uh, a guy who I think a lot more people will be aware of the name simply through, uh, well, for a start, he's on that huge show NXT UK that everybody watches. Um, but but also he's his career sporadically has continued until very recently. He's had uh, an extremely long career. Um extremely long and the fact that he has utilized a certain style for so long has influenced a mass of professional wrestlers uh from not only this country but globally i think when uh wrestlers from other countries talk about british wrestling um johnny saint is one of the names that almost definitely comes up um along with probably jim breaks Mm -hmm. uh Jim Brakes obviously killed someone, so he's not on the ballot. 
that um, Johnny Saint is what we're left with, which is, yeah, he was a flag bearer for a certain style of wrestling for a very long time, and he kept it relevant and he kept it interesting. Um, I do like that he came out of retirement to have a couple of matches just to because there were people who just desperately wanted to wrestle him. Yeah. Because they felt he was that important. Guys like Quackenbush, guys like Sabre Jr., Chris Hero, um, Colt Cabana, all incredibly um, also influenced by by him and his, his style. He's While uh, we were talking earlier about... Um, uh, George Kidd, George Kidd, as kind of being the the beginning of of that line. Johnny Saint's probably the most well known of that that kind of lineage. Yeah, I think well, Johnny Saint and as I said, Jim Brakes is the other one that um, that people remember for for wrestling a certain like British style and for doing it for a, a long time at a, at a high standard. But um, Johnny Saint hasn't killed anyone, so like he's the one that you want to vote for. It does help. It does help. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, uh, Big Daddy's killed someone. Yes, in the ring. Yeah, so um, that might sway you against voting <laughs> for him. Maybe I don't know. Um, in terms of yeah, obviously we we the case has kind of already been made there for both his in ring and his his um, historical significance. Yeah, I think that's where it comes from on those two factors. Uh, drawing power, I'm not as convinced of. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like he was a big star in any particular era. He just had he was there for a long time and operating at a, a, a good level for a long time. No, it's not completely. Um, it's not completely absent. Like there's even little things like he's popped quite a few indie houses when you, you add up all the years of him him popping in and, and, and wrestling a Quackenbush, wrestling a Chris Hero or whatever, um, wrestling a... I think he yeah. wrestled Sabre once. But I kind of feel like that kind of falls under influence because you've got people who really wanted to wrestle him so they would put him over and say I really wanted to wrestle Johnny Saint so this is, this is a match that's happening and he is referenced an awful lot in... Uh, uh, commentary as well so th- there's that influence uh, that has been passed down fr- from people that have seen him and they've been so excited about what they've seen that he- they've talked him up whereas uh, like at the time if you're looking at him uh, as a draw it's it's a lot harder to, to define I think yeah yeah uh, are you, is, he, is he a guy who who's done enough for you I think just about yeah. I think the the fact that he's got that longevity and he's got the the style that so many people have uh, have imitated. Uh, like I said, I am also very tempted to vote for George Kidd for similar reasons mm-hmm. because he is the originator of it, and then Johnny Saint merely uh, has been doing it in an, an era that people are, have seen, and many would say perfected it. Yeah, it yeah. He he took a lot of moves and just made them his. Like the the lady in the lake, uh, it was something that George Kidd did, but it wasn't the same. So Johnny Saints saw that and went, "I I, I want to change it a little bit, so it's so it's mine," and that's what he did. 
So uh, next up, we've got Ricky Starr, and I'll be honest, uh, before I looked at the ballot, I'd never heard of this guy. So uh, take it away. Uh, yeah, no, Ricky Starr's an American. So I don't, I don't want to talk about Ricky Starr. He was a ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only ever seen him wrestle in America. <laughs> so I have never seen him wrestle in Europe. He he did have a run in 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 World of Sport for for context. That's why he's part of this section. But uh, yeah, I, I, we haven't yes, seen him. I, we haven't like, seen him. Yeah, I've seen him wrestle in America. He was very good. He had um, uh, he was, and from the era that he came from, being an, an effeminate baby face is a pretty big deal. But uh, <laughs> for that era, it's almost an oxymoron. Uh, yeah, it sounds completely impossible. But like he basically did ballet stuff in the ring, and he used to just tease his opponent, his big tough opponents, and just kind of make fun of them. And but yeah, I, from what I've seen, he was a very good wrestler. But I won't be voting for him because I, as as a European guy, I, he's not. He's American, and I've only ever seen him wrestle in America. And then. That's kind of cleared us out through all the uh, world of sport guys. Um, but the last person on the ballot, and this is another guy who, through my research, I've kind of gone, I'm surprised this guy isn't already in, uh, oh. and that's Otto Vons. Yeah. It's well, it's tough to put a price on what uh, Otto Vons was worth to German wrestling uh, as a wrestler and as a promoter. The, the period where he was on top... Um, sort of 70s and 80s running those big festivals and uh, bringing wrestlers in from from different parts of the world was key to European wrestling being what it was. And what WXW have done uh, in building around major tournaments is directly taken from what Otto Vance did, uh, bringing stars in for tournaments it, admittedly it was over a lot longer period of time and they'd run like 36 like, day tournaments yeah yeah yeah, 30, yeah which um nowadays would be just logistically impossible and and although i'd love to go and watch wrestling like 36 <laughs> days in a row i would not be able to actually get that time off work so um it's it's just not something that would that would happen but his influence um, in in running uh, CWA, the uh, Catch Wrestling Association, is still very much felt today. And the only criticism you can really have of him is that, as with uh, Big Daddy in the UK, is his inability to build new stars as a promoter and as a worker is a significant reason for European wrestling declining the way it did. Um, but during his promotion, uh, during his heyday. The CWA was a huge success because it was built on the back of, of Otto Vance. And I think almost the positive for him that Big Daddy doesn't necessarily have is that, yes, it kind of did die off after he was gone, but he kind of created it in the first place. Like, he set up mm. the CWA. He he was the promoter uh, as well as the biggest star for a good 20 years from, like, I guess... 1970 to 1990 and then he kind of tried to hang hand it off to was it rambo rambo yeah um, he was he was in the truth commission i can't remember which one he was might have been sniper i think it was yeah yeah um yeah so and and these so I were derailed you there <laughs> <laughs> truth commission that's truth commission you, you sniper. brought up every every day um what a stable but yeah this this was european like 
continental European wrestling, or at least northern yeah. European wrestling. French catch was kind of its own thing, or that was kind of a different era. Um, but yeah, that was German and Austrian and basically northern European wrestling while it existed. And they were drawing at their peak some big crowds. Like, they draw, like, 9,000 to, to some of these bigger shows. Uh, you know, nothing to to turn your nose up at. These were the biggest crowds in Europe at their peak, and he was the biggest star. And the yeah. promoter. Um, yeah. It was really well organized. Like the, the whole of Catch, when it was on top, um, it was well organized. It was well drilled. Uh, they knew what worked. And they were hugely successful in... Um, not only uh, bringing stars in to work with uh, with Otto, uh, but also uh, in building their own stars, uh, bringing in people who were nobodies and making them famous, um, like Vader, <laughs> for example, or uh, JBL. He got his first break, big break in um, CWA. But they, they were that good at what they did. It was... Um, a very well organized, very well drilled promotion, and the the only uh, that nagging uh, issue with it is that he just kept he left himself on top for too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and while he did then try with Rambo afterwards, it was it. From it was reading because he had it, to because he was he was uh, he was old and yeah. he was broken down. He couldn't do it anymore, so he needed to do it. Where instead of like it was too late, basically. he should have passed the torch before that and he didn't and that's why he failed mm-hmm. but you you hear guys like uh regal and finley talk about their time they spent over there yeah um and you know they they talk about it's integral to to how their careers panned out how they found their own style of wrestling i, I have never actually seen him wrestle have, have you yeah he's all right um he's a lot better than big daddy <laughs> again low bar yeah no but i've was, I was seen him have uh like pretty hard hitting matches with um, uh, guys. I I basically caught like the the tail end of a lot of the catch stuff. So I I saw the matches with Vader and uh, I saw some of his stuff with like Rambo, um, which is a little bit later. But yeah, he was still he was still alright. He was pretty decent in the ring. Obviously, uh, that's compared to Big Daddy, mm-hmm. as opposed to if you're judging him against like good wrestlers <laughs> i would say like he was less um important in that respect and i don't think you're going to put him in for for his in ring but uh he was all right it seems to me like he ticks he ticks boxes in drawing and influence quite strongly like i I get the sense I would probably vote for him. Yeah, I wouldn't argue. If anyone wanted to vote for, for Otto, I wouldn't argue with it. I feel like he's a, a good vote. And I basically have two votes left. Mm-hmm. And if I don't vote for Big Daddy, I would probably vote for Otto instead. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all of the European candidates. There's there's a few other people in that um, that category because it does bump in like uh, Australia and New Zealand guys as well although none of them are Australian or <laughs> no. or Kiwi. Um, they're all people who just spent the like the, the primes of their careers there. Um, and I mean, you, can, you can even argue that they, they didn't. They, they spent 
part of their prime yeah. there and part of it in America. So like Spiris Arion uh, spent a lot of time in America. Dominic DiNucci did. Uh, yeah, she could probably make the argument about pretty much anyone on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, we won't go into detail on them. Um, so yeah, we, we've we've gone quite a while, but we'll just quickly kind of touch on the the other two categories you are going to be voting in. And um, if I was voting, I I don't actually think we're the I don't think I would vote in the European category just because it's not an era I know particularly well. I probably would just vote in the modern US and the Japan oh. categories, which are the two you'd uh, vote for. So, who are the guys there who you're uh, you're looking at voting for? Um, to, to be honest, you can make an argument for absolutely everyone on the modern USA ballot. There's a reason why they're on there. Uh, uh, so like, Trish? Tra- mm, I'm not sure you can make an yeah, argument for Trish. I, yeah, I, I feel like there's an argument there. I think she's a uh, horrible candidate. Uh, I think it's based on, like, if you're looking at people who've come through after her, they all kind of cite her as an influence for what she did sort of breaking down doors and stuff and uh, changing the way uh, that women were perceived in the company. And a lot of it was mm-hmm. to her, her saying, like, I don't want to do uh, all this, this um, you know, tits and ass stuff. I want to actually be a professional wrestler. And she pushed to be uh, treated differently, um, which was a pretty brave thing to do. And she went from being uh, like a, a valet in 99 to like five years later being considered uh like the, the best wrestler they had which um was probably quite a low bar but uh at the same time it's that is a dramatic change and i i have a lot of time for trish i have a lot of respect for what she uh she accomplished in a, a very short career that said it's a very short career and i don't think she should be in based on longevity i don't think she's been a wrestler for long enough yeah, I, do. I think while all of what you said she is true uh, is true, I don't think she's close to Hall of Famer. Um, that that's my my, my view. Anyway. Yeah, well, I wouldn't vote for it, but I'm saying that there's there's a there's an argument for a, for being on there. Um, the junkyard dog. Uh, there's a very strong argument for him as a draw uh, because of the way he turned uh, a dead territory around. It is a short run, though. It is a short run. It was like four years, and then he went to the WWF and just kind of rotted. Although for a period of that WWF, he was the number two babyface very briefly for yeah. what that counts, but it's not like a huge addition. But I it's just, a small supplementary thing. Yeah, I can see why why someone would vote for for JYD. I don't particularly want to. Um, I didn't like him as an in ring uh, competitor. Uh, if I'd lived in Louisiana, I'd probably be like, of course he's in. <laughs> he just saved our entire scene. He, he's like Louisiana's uh, big daddy. Who you also um, might not vote for. Who also might not vote for. Um, Edge, I think uh, anyone that's an 11-time world champion has probably got to be close. I, and, I don't care about numbers of reigns. Like. Yeah, I know, but just based on the sheer number of, of world titles that he won, you could argue that the whole time uh, he was a world champion, though, he was never like the main guy. Mm. But um, There's a lot of like one-month reigns in there as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, but he also kind of was involved in saving their tag team division. Um, and it went to shit the second he left it, <laughs> which they, they went from being like the, the biggest uh, or close to be the biggest draws uh, on any given show uh, and being super over as a, as a heel team to um, the tag team division, meaning nothing. 
so that that means a lot to me as a singles guy like because his world titles were in an era where they were just giving them away uh like his longest world title run is like three months i think he had some longer than that while like the smackdown champion in like late 2010s but yeah it's i he's guy i'm not that high on in ring uh although you know some of the tlc stuff which you've got to give him a significant yeah. chunk of the credit for i think he's probably quite influential actually in that would there would like lather matches and all their variants be such a thing without edge probably not obviously there were ladder matches before that you've got the yeah. famous Shawn michaels the, Razor the Shawn ones yeah but the, he was very creative but um you can kind of look at the way ladder matches are before edge has those tlc matches and after but again that was six people yeah. uh, you got to split that that credit up somewhat yeah, he was uh, one of the creative driving forces, I think, behind those matches and um, pushing the pushing the envelope of what uh, what could be done. Um, like I said, Matt, I think if his in ring had been slightly better, like because he as an in ring guy, he's he's not particularly high up on the on the all time list, but he's a strong like seven out of ten in pretty much each category and i feel like he does have the influence because people who followed have have cited him so but i'm still not voting for him i I see edge as a classic hall of very good guy (laughs) he's he's not a million miles off in any category but i don't think he fully ticks a box in anyone yeah i goldberg um i understand why people would want to vote for him because he was massively over for like two years but it's two years so but it, it's two years. It, and it's how heavily you weigh him. longevity and also how high you are in his in-ring. His in-ring was not very good. Uh, he got carried to some really decent mm-hmm. matches. And when he got left to, to have like like five-minute max matches, they were usually really entertaining. But like, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't vote for him. Um, I am very, very strongly considering voting for the Hardy Boys. Mainly based on... They've been successful everywhere. They changed st- the style of wrestling in the WWE, where if you look at what um, was happening before Jeff Hardy started jumping off like 15-foot-high ladders and what it's been like since, uh, there was a very definite shift in terms of like what was acceptable. Uh, you can also put like some of that on Mick Foley, Mm-hmm. But Mick Foley was falling, uh, whereas the Hardy Boys were more of a <laughs> jumping, jumping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was a change of the business where everyone thought Jeff Hardy would be in a wheelchair. They thought he'd have like a five-year max career and that he'd be fucked and gone, and that'd be it. But um, like he still wrestles now. I know he's injured at the moment, but that's <laughs> more like wear and tear from like a long career rather than like specifically injuring himself falling off something um yeah so they, for me it, it they changed the business they've been massively massively influential to everyone that's followed them especially tag teams uh you look at the the tag team double moves that they did and the way that they were kind of mimicked by other successful teams uh i don't think you have that jump afterwards to like uh motor city machine guns i don't think that happens without the hardys doing it first in a big company and 
like Jeff is just he he is a go-to guy for like how the business changed and the way people expected careers to to last based on a, a daredevil mentality. Uh, yeah, I, I just I feel like they they should be in there and they won titles all over the place as well. See, the way you talk about that has been very interesting because the way my take on this has always been. I don't think the Hardy Boys are Hall of Famers. I definitely don't think Matt Hardy's a Hall of Famer. I think Jeff Hardy might be. So if they were split up, I'd be more inclined to maybe vote for Jeff. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Matt was always the creative one, though. So like the the style of the matches that they uh, developed was very much on Matt, like for his brain. Right, but I think Jeff's always had the better singles matches. Um well, I say always. Towards the like the very early career, Matt was having the better singles matches, but like in terms of the great matches, I think Jeff has a lot more. Um, he was the biggest star. He was, and, and and really, when you're looking at the Hardy Boys, their actual tag team runs together weren't that long. Um, yeah, but they they were at key points. True, true. But uh, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, if you look at Jeff Hardy and you've got all his single stuff. Plus the tag team, it's a lot more impressive than just looking at the tag team. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like the fact that they reinvented themselves as well and actually made people watch um, Impact and Ring of Honor. For a, and Ring of Honor, they were they were they've been significant stars in multiple places in multiple eras. Which is and impressive. I feel you can put that down as the drawing factor as well, because people actually watched those promotions because the Hardy Boys were there. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Martel, I have nothing to say about him. <laughs> well, Rick Martel, very similar to uh, JYD, and um, he was really, really uh, a hot star for AWA. So he was their world champion, sort of mid eighties, and he was absolutely huge there mega star uh great wrestler in the ring surefire hall of fame candidate if you're thinking about it in like 1985 you look at it and go this guy is going to be in the hall of fame because he at the moment he's great he's on top of the world it can only go up from here then he signed for wwf and he was basically in tag teams <laughs> and while they used him very effectively in those tag teams especially strike force um, he then went on to be like a, a mid-card guy with a, a goofy gimmick, which is typical Vince, taking somebody just because he, he could and then just wasting him ah, and wasting his career. The Shinsuke Nakamura of his era. Yeah. Well, even worse, because like he had that uh, model gimmick, which like I oh, was awful. But then like as soon as he was away from, from Vince and he went to uh, WCW and he just wrestled, um, he was great, and then he got injured, and his career was over. Not a Hall of Famer, though. No, I don't think so. But uh, I would have to watch. I haven't seen a lot of AWA, so I'm not convinced that he was mega, mega over there. I've seen like matches, and I, I thought they were really good. Um, but yeah, I'd have to probably watch more from that era. Uh, Randy Orton's not a Hall of Famer. We don't really have to go no, into that, do fuck we? Him. Um, no, bollocks to him. CM Punk's a guy where it's like he, I, th- I think he's a very in- interesting candidate because I think he is clearly influential because yeah. he was he was kind of 
The crowd still chants his name now. I mean, they've like, kind of moved on to AEW now, but before AEW, that was kind of their go-to protest chant, wasn't it? Yeah. He was kind of the first real indie guy to really break through in, in WWE. There were other guys who kind of fit that model, but not fully. CM Punk was he, like... He was a real breakthrough guy. Yeah, yeah, he was He was a big breakthrough guy for them. Um, He's... So, like, he, he kind of set the, the table for your, your Daniel Bryans and uh, whatnot. He was never, like... um. He was he was never John Cena or anything, but he he was a draw to a degree in that company. That there was always the the time when he was briefly, I think for about four months or something, the number one merch draw there. And weirdly, because WWE so weird for figuring out draws, because in many ways the brand is the draw. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's kind of the, one of the few things you can actually look to and say. You know that that that's a way of measuring star power within that company. And CM Punk was briefly even ahead of John Cena, who it, biggest star of his era uh, yeah, for a brief yeah. time. Well, that's the thing is like you you do have a longevity issue there in that it took him like six years to get like massively over, and then he was there for like two years after that, and then left. Yeah. Um, the thing for me again. Very a great in ring wrestler, but not like an overwhelmingly great that he can be carried completely just on his in ring. Um, I think he ticks all three boxes just kind of in. I don't know how highly he ticks them, yeah. but like the fact that he does tick all three would make me consider him. I think weirdly, I'm just waiting for him to come back. If he has that, because I'm very confident if he comes back, he pops a big number. If he comes back from AEW, which is looking less and less likely at this point, then that's like, and if he helps them go up a lot and become a legit player, then that's almost historical significance as well. Uh, Has a few more great matches that helps that. Um, He's he's I mean, someone you, I think I would the... just about vote for, but if he had a comeback, I have a feeling that he'd easily tick all three of them. Yeah, I feel like he does tick all three anyway. The the pipe bomb promo obviously is like one of the most famous promos of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like he crossed uh, over into a whole different level after that. Um, I I would be tempted to vote for. I, I really liked him in Ring of Honor as well, and. For for an indie guy, he was always a fantastic promo. Yeah, so... I I loved his promos in Ring of Honor. I was never high in his in ring there. Like he his in ring was kind of passionate. he had a like, fetishism I... for going very long, needlessly. Yeah, he sure did. A lot of his best matches are like fifteen twenty minutes in in Ring of Honor, but like the ones that are famous are the the, the sixty minutes yeah. with with Joe. Yeah, I think I probably will vote for for Punk. I think I probably would as well, but that probably could go to a definite with with him coming back, which feels like it's we're kind of getting to the point where it's probably going to happen soon. But also, I feel if he comes back and he's shit, uh, yeah, that can also hurt that's him. That's true. Um, and I don't know if you saw him do that. Uh, he did the run-in and did like a, a GTS for one of his mate shows, and it's like the worst thing I've ever seen. It was fucking awful. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, a guy who's slightly too early... For me to know too much about, but he seems he seems like a guy for a lot of people that's really on the fence. Yeah, well, he has that crossover appeal with um, he was a GI Joe mm-hmm. character, so he, he was a like an action figure, and he was in a cartoon, so like he had 
that crossover appeal that that Vince desperately wanted for Hulk Hogan, and they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it until Hogan had that appeal as well. But Slaughter was there first, which um, I'm sure annoys someone for for reasons. Um, there's there's two sides to the Slaughter argument. There's the one that uh, he was a fantastic wrestler, sort of in the early '80s, and like had those boot camp matches, those really violent, bloody matches. And then when the company changed and it wasn't violent anymore, he came back as an Iraqi sympathizer. And his one uh, world title run was as a transition, and he sucked. And then he was a fat commissioner who got spat at by DX. So there's two sides to it. And it's like, if you want to lean towards the earlier side, then probably, yeah, maybe. And if you want to kind of lean towards the, the bad stuff at the end of his career, um, then no. Where do you lean? Uh, I'm not going to vote for him. Kerry Von Erich. Kerry, uh, the the best argument you can ever have for Kerry Von Erich is as a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, because like he popped, the ridiculous houses with that uh freebirds von eric rivalry he was the like a blue-eyed baby face um mega face for for three years in texas uh he popped a forty-five thousand attendance at texas stadium for the nwa title win against rick flair it this wasn't a small regional promotion this was a major territory and he was doing major numbers um whether you you consider him a draw outside of Texas, that's open for debate. Whether you think he's a big enough historical character because he only had that run in Texas that was good, and when he was in WWF, basically he was fucked and on one foot. Um, he also felt like a, a like a lower level Ultimate Warrior when he was there, and he was only wrestled in the, like the uh, the big leagues for two years. So there's two sides to the argument. It's like, if you think the Texas run is strong enough, then he's in. If you don't, then he's not. Which begs the inevitable question, which side are you? I'm not voting for him. Ultimate Warrior, similar similar thing, sure. I, I don't think he has the longevity, yep. to be honest. I know he is a massive star, and like the, his popularity was mind-boggling at one point um when i was a kid again this was another guy that was massively popular so like i remember that there being degrees of, of crossover appeal um not that he actually did anything outside of wrestling apart from like a comic which is dreadful um but yeah for me i don't think he had a long enough career terrible fucking wrestler too and yeah he was bad in the ring the vast majority of and i mean vast majority of his matches were awful and let's let's move over to japan now um jun akiyama seems like one of the biggest no-brainers ever like he he could get in for me like when i was talking earlier about like very 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 select group that are getting in based just on one category i think he's good enough in ring that he's been one of the best 25 wrestlers every year for like 25 years or something yeah 
Like yeah. in the world, I mean, I mean, I, I missed that out of that sentence. But yeah, his his longevity of excellence in ring is incredible, and that's before you even get to his influence, where he's played. You know, all Japan isn't doing brilliant now, but he's played a, a large part in getting all Japan back to where it is. Um, well, they were dead. They were dead. He took over the book, and now they're not. Like it's literally a new promotion started by him. Like yeah. technically, it's not the same promotion that we think of when we say old all Japan because it's a different company, but, and it's because of him. Yeah. The, I, I feel like he's had an absolutely stellar career. It is a hall of fame career. Easily. Uh, he, he debuted in the middle of all Japan's greatest run of in-ring ever and didn't look out of place in there as a rookie with like the best wrestlers in the world. He, he should have been completely out of his depth, but he wasn't. He then basically slotted in as Mizawa's uh, tag team partner in the late 90s in some unbelievable tag team matches. Uh, he was filling Kenta Kabashi's boots in those matches and he just didn't look out of place at all. Um, he was one of the main Noah guys bridging over for when uh, Mizawa and Kabashi were just getting too old. He was the guy they had to go to. Uh, and I think he's just gotten better as he's gotten older. And the fact that he was still having matches in... Uh, champion carnival last year that i thought were absolutely fucking outstanding pushing match of the year that should say it all about him he's been that good for 25 26 years since uh debuting in 92 for for in ring alone he's pushing going in there i feel like he is a draw as well and yeah he's the criticism is there the criticism for him is that always that he's going to be compared to his contemporaries and he was never as big a draw as the masawas the Kabashis, the uh, Kawadas, but who yeah. the fuck was <laughs> you know in Japan? Who was like? Yeah, but I feel like he kind of got out of their shadow later. So yeah. like, um in Noah to a degree, but then uh, more recently when he's been in all Japan, he's looked fantastic as an elder statesman. Like a fine wine, he has improved with age. Like. Like, a Masawa is someone for me who might be the perfect candidate. Like, he might tick all three boxes, triple tick. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it, it looks bad being compared to him. But he's, for me, he's probably like a triple tick in uh, in ring and maybe a single tick in both influence and uh, and drawing. So he's an easy yes for me. I, I'm amazed he's not in. And I anyone who doesn't vote for him but does vote for Japan, I'm confused by, honestly. Yeah, I literally have him as the guy. If I only voted for one person, it would be Akiyama. Uh, next up on the list is Ishima. Uh, he's a guy I'm somewhat on the fence on, and a lot of that, admittedly, is because which is weird because you kind of talked me into voting for him. Well, for me, it's that I haven't seen a lot of Prime Shima. Like I, I started branching out my wrestling watching in 2012, and by that point, he was already like slowly transitioning away from being the guy in Dragon Gate. So it's simply, I haven't watched enough of his in-ring to know whether I tick that box, but I think he definitely ticks it for drawing. You've seen the way uh, Dragon Gate's kind of cratered for a bit after he left, and how many different places he managed to pop by by dropping in. Dragon Gate's a, a place that for a long time, it was always the narrative around it was, the brand is the draw. Mm. But then he left, and then like numbers a third dropped, there. he goes yeah, other places, third. he goes other places, and the numbers skyrocket there. Well, I say skyrocket, they, they go into a Corican that normally draws a thousand, and it's drawing 1,400. 
Like, I I value that, especially when it's happening across multiple different promotions. Um, so I think he definitely takes it for drawing. Um, definitely takes it for influence. He's one of the uh, or historical, positive historical significance. Well, he's, he's changed what draws in, in Japanese wrestling. For, for years and years and years, the, the only thing that drew was uh, big tough guys leathering each other, and that, that was it, or uh, shoot style. Um, but Shima changed all that, uh, moved Dragon Gate up to the number two promotion um, in Japan, based solely upon his ideas. Like, he completely changed the landscape. And as we mentioned, like, when he left, uh, attendances dropped because he wasn't there. And I think you can you can expand it further than that. You look at the the indie style in the West now, and more than that, the the indie style has kind of almost become yeah. the WWE style. Dragon Gate style played a huge role in that. And who was the main guy doing that Dragon oh. Gate style? Like, obviously, you give some credit to Ultimo Dragon, who's kind of the originator, but Shima was the practitioner that it expanded through. Um, I remember uh, back in when it was before Dragon Gate, so like Toriyamon, and the very start of that, uh, when he was wrestling there and he was this this prodigy, um, his name uh, was kind of whispered in, in hushed tones around uh, uh, internet message boards. It's like, oh, have you heard about... Because it? it was uh, Shima Nobunaga uh, back then, and it was just... Um, I remember reading someone's uh, tape review of uh, like a bunch of, of the Shima matches, and he goes, "He's like Shawn Michaels, but good." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was he was always going to be a, a big, big star um, with that community, and the fact that that community became more the mainstream is partially down to his brand of wrestling becoming popular with uh, casuals as well. And he has been a massive, massive change, a force of change in global wrestling. And I would vote for him in an instant. Yeah, I, I might have retaught myself into him um, with, with that. But he, he is always a guy that I've never that into his singles matches that I've seen. So I'm never yeah, quite... I feel like he's always been better in uh, multi-man. But he's a, yeah, he's such a good his... tag wrestler that yeah, yeah. I pro... yeah, I think I probably would vote for him now that I, I kind of reanalyze it. Um, next up, people is... still talk about that uh, that do fix a blood generation match from from Ring of Honor. Like Travis Banks still mentions it uh, occasionally on on Twitter, just saying how much he loves that match. And it's, it's just and it's not even the best of their matches that year. Um, yeah, but it was like the one that everyone saw, yeah, so it's, it people still remember it, still talk about it, and that's Shima. Um, next up, Tenkoji. This is another team that I think they have better in cases individually than they do as a team. The, the reason why they're in there is because if you look at uh, New Japan's tag team history, they are like the second most dominant tag team in it. After another tag team, um, uh, Choten, which was uh, Tenzan and uh, Chono, like when it comes to just sheer domination of the division, it's it's like they just kept going to them because they needed them. It's like, uh, yeah, we need a new champion, uh, Tenkoji. 
Um, they they are a very good tag team. Um, I wouldn't vote for them personally because they were a dominant and very good tag team in a very meh tag team division. Yeah, I, I just think they have better. Like, Kojima was, has been... Kojima especially, I think. A, a, a single champion in several different promotions. Uh, like, the main champion in several different promotions. And yet, he's on here as a tag team run that... It, it feels like they're only on there because the time they got put on the ballot was when they were a tag team and so they're there because of that when really they should be on the singles yeah we'll just ignore them um fujiwara i'm not a big shoot style guy so i don't know a ton about him to be honest um well he debuted the same year that new japan started and he still wrestles now (laughs) so that that should give you an idea of how long uh his career was um he was he was a moderately sized star in, in New Japan, but when the scene started to change in the 90s, uh, he helped make uh, UWF uh, a viable entity. Uh, so he's, his influence uh, there can't be ignored. Um, and also later in his career, uh, he helped make Zero One credible uh, when they started up. I feel like he's kind of like the bridge between like your Carl Gotch era and the modern era of, of hybrid style, um, taking uh, that shoot style and kind of incorporating it into different things. Uh, he's influenced a, a great many wrestlers and MMA fighters, and he's got an armbar named after him. This is true. Would Are you going to vote for him? Nah, I'm, maybe not. <laughs> Uh, I think if he had, if he'd had like a major run and in any promotion at any time, just a run where he was like the guy, uh, I would definitely vote for him. But he's always had a supporting role, and that's kind of part of the the, the deal with with Fujiwara. He always has been there to make sure other people got over, which is he's he's too nice <laughs> to be in the Hall of Fame, basically. Hayabusa. <laughs> um, this is a guy who, for a lot of people a bit older than me, is incredibly influential to their fandoms of Japanese wrestling. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember that this is another guy that, um, when I first started tape trading, a, a load of the tapes were like Best of Hayabusa, or like it was an FMW tape, and it was popular because the main event was Hayabusa doing something ridiculous. And uh, I watched a lot of Hayabusa matches when I was just starting to get into tape trading so it was uh i started watching a lot of deathmatch stuff um and like uh all japan for their their heavyweight scene uh new japan's juniors and i watched a lot of fmw because it essentially had everything that i liked in one place and hayabusa was like the high flyer for for fmw uh, he was really innovative uh created the phoenix splash uh you can make arguments about how good he was in the ring. I thought he was outstanding when he was on. It's just every now and again, he just had a terrible, terrible match. And I think people remember that when it was kind of a 50-50 one way and the other. Um, if you're looking for evidence of him being a draw, uh, when he had to retire, when he, he broke his neck, um, 
like four months later, FMW ceased to exist. Mm-hmm. And they were they, they they weren't no minor promotion. They, well, they they were drawing two thousand to to Corican Hall. Like every time they bought Corican Hall, it was two thousand. They'd sell it out completely, sell it out packed to the rafters, and yeah, they were gone. Then they were gone because they couldn't replace them. Planning on voting for him? Hayabusa, yes. We'll skip over the next four guys because they're all the same. <laughs> I I hate that. People who are in the middle of making their case for being on the Hall of Fame are already up for voting. Like, I just hate that. Like they're in the primes of their career, all four of them. Ibushi, Ishii, well, less Ishii, Ishi, but Ishii is the only one that is worth talking about because, like, what he's good at is not—he's uh, not a draw. I don't think um, we can't really tell what his historical significance is going to be, but I think it's going to be good. And um, mm. but in ring, he is phenomenal. So. Uh, I was saying to, I can't remember who it was now, but we were talking about Hall of Fame, and I said if he continues to have matches at the level that he's having for like another two, maybe three years, and I feel like he should go in just for the sheer quality of wrestling that he's brought to to the world. Since uh, He kind of started peaking in 2013, so he's been at his peak for six years, yeah. and he has been unbelievable for six years. For me, and I fucking love Ishii, and I think as great as everyone knows Ishii is, I think, weirdly, he's still underrated. People don't quite really... Like, it's easy to forget just how special Ishii is, uh, in that he has been... I think he... There is a very good case that he's wrestler of the decade in the decade that might be the greatest in-ring decade ever. Mm. But... Because he doesn't have that draw, and it will be interesting if maybe it's like he gets like a gold watch reign. I I hope so much. Like these Naito fans really piss me off because they're <laughs> complaining that oh he hasn't won like every title and every G one. I just want one title for Ishii, just one title. He doesn't even need a successful defense. He just needs to win the title once and just stand there in the ring holding it high, so I can have my moment. It it would be interesting to see him on top just just briefly. Because I'm not... My gut is that he would draw well on top just because of how over he is. Because he's very over. You look look at the, um, like, people's favourites in Japanese uh, publications. Like, he very rarely scores highly. That's that's true. That's true. Um, So, no, he doesn't have that that drawing power. Whereas I I think you look at Naito as drawing power. uh, Okada does. I, I think those are absolute no-brainers for eventually mounting an argument. Um, and they also have a very strong in-ring case. Ishii's, at the moment, is solely on in-ring, uh, but he's good enough that I think he will get in at some point. See, what it comes down to... I'm not voting for him this year. I just hesitate to, yeah. to add. Yeah, yeah. I, I will kind of touch on that in a second. But for Ishii, for me, as amazing as he is, because it's solely an in-ring case, it comes down to... Do I think he's in the conversation for the... Not that he is, but do I think he's in the conversation for greatest in-ring wrestler ever? And I don't... I think... I think it... He started being amazing too late in his career. However, Ishii is, like, barely human. (laughs) It's ridiculous, his career path of, like, him being a good little wrestler until he hit, like, what, 42 or something? And then (laughs) became one of the... 
like one of the best five wrestlers in the world for the next six years. What's to say he doesn't do another five years of it of this? It's probably not going to happen because you know the hourglass does beat everyone. I, I am waiting for the injury to happen because like he he surely has problems. Well, he did have that that little time off over the G one where he like. Uh, a few years back where it looked like he was falling apart, but now he's completely back to where he was. So what's to say he doesn't have another five years of this output and then he really is in the conversation for best in-ring wrestler ever? Yeah. And that's why I kind of hate voting on it now. Yeah, well, that, that's why I'm not voting for him now. Yeah. If I felt like... Like, say, like, he'd fucked his neck and I knew he was never going to wrestle uh, to the same level that he is he has been for the last six years... I would probably be more inclined to vote him in now because I'd be like, yeah, let, let's let's put him in there. Let's put him in there. But um, I think he's got more to offer. So. The poster boy for why people shouldn't be on the ballot so early is Shinsuke Nakamura because he was a guy who looked 100% on track to be a Hall of Famer. If, if you'd have asked me, like, the day he got in to the, the Hall of Fame... Will Shinsuke Nakamura end up end his career with a Hall of Fame career? I'd have said, yeah, almost certainly. But unless he, you know, he, he changes things again in the next few years, which is, I guess, a possibility, his career does not look like a Hall of Fame career now at all. Um, well, he went in in 2015 when in. he was he was absolutely at the top of his game in 2015. And... He hasn't been ever since. <laughs> he's he has what like a four, if you're generous, a very a hot four year run on nearly top, but not fully on top of New Japan when it was coming back back to being like a, a hot product again. I don't think that that was enough, but it looked like it was very much on track to be enough. So he got voted in, yeah. and then he signed with WWE and became like an irrelevant mid carder rapidly had one important match against Sami Zayn and that's yeah. it um honestly when when that match happened I was like oh my god he's gonna tear the whole company down and like rebuild it in his strong image and it just hasn't happened nope. um so yeah like I I hate that that these people are on the ballot already and like if if you really pushed me if like Kota... the age is wrong the age is wrong. It might have been relevant like to begin with, but it's just it's too young. I think the problem is the age is based on sport and wrestlers peak later than sports people. That's wrestlers generally peak in their forties. Or at least like I I'd argue like late thirties, but yeah. If you ask me, like if Kotrabushi retired tomorrow, I think he probably is a Hall of Famer. Uh if Naito retired tomorrow, I think probably not. If Omega retires tomorrow, uh, I think no. it kind of depends on how AEW does. If like AEW um, becomes a major promotion, and he he was obviously a significant part of getting it started, maybe. But you know, it, it, we shouldn't be deciding now whether they're he, a Hall of Fame. Omega is one of those guys who was ridiculously hot for a couple of years. That's no basis for for, for voting him in. I don't think. Yeah, like a couple of years. That's that's nothing really. Goldberg was hot for a couple of years. I'm not considering him. Mm. Um. And Goldberg was a lot hotter than uh, Omega. Yeah, but Omega's also got the in-ring argument. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's true. anyway, we, we said we weren't going to discuss... discuss We're not going to talk about them. Then we uh, talked then about we did. them. <laughs> uh, Maiko Satomura, she's another one I'm a bit on the fence about. Um, in-ring, 
she takes a box for me. I but I know for a lot of people she would take multiple boxes for oh. for in ring, uh, and I'm not quite. I don't think she, for me she's ever been one of the best wrestlers on the planet, but she's always been great and she's had a a, a great longevity as well. So she definitely takes the in ring box, but she doesn't quite tick tick it twice. Uh, influence she, the. The Joshi scene as it is, a large part of why it's somewhat had a revival is because of Satamura, but also mm. it's not like a, a booming scene. So no. I would give her credit for that, but not like overwhelming credit. I think she's got the influence because people are now uh, looking at, at Mako as being the reason why they're a wrestler, whereas it hasn't drawn particularly well like sendai girls uh it's a great promotion to watch but she she had to form it just to fill a void because there were no major um joshi promotions so like gaia closed in like uh 2005 i think Mm -hmm. and yeah mako uh had to form a promotion so she had somewhere to do her thing and it's whether you think that is is enough uh, influentially to to push her over the top. Uh, obviously, I think work rate wise, she's uh, arguably been top five women's wrestler in the world for her entire career, pretty much. Hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it comes down to her drawing record, and it's. I think she is a draw. It's whether she's a Hall of Fame draw, and it's tricky because you you can look at things like her her stardom runs. She's popped in there a couple of times, and each time she goes there, it does it does bump up the the attendance a bit, but it's not. It's like adding two hundred fans to it goes from like a thousand to a thousand two hundred or whatever every time she showed up usually, and that's significant. But is it enough? I think I'd really need to do a deep dive and look into a, a drawing record while she was in Gaia, because obviously Gaia was drawing better than any Joshi promotion now, uh, and I haven't like done a deep dive and looked at her record there, uh, and I simply don't know enough about it, and I haven't seen the case enough like laid out to see whether she does deserve credit as being a Hall of Fame level draw, because I think she does tick the other two boxes, but for me she doesn't tick them enough that she can disregard drawing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was really annoyed when Gaia closed because I thought that at the time uh, Mako just had the world at her feet and she was she was entering her prime and then she had nowhere to work. Yeah. Uh, are you are you going to be voting for her? I think so, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then finally, Akira Taue. Uh, I fucking love Taue. I am, <laughs> I am the high man on him. I know in ring, but like the way I've always heard it described is that he was the fourth out of four who was lucky almost to be there. And he had some amazing matches by virtue of being in there with like three of the top five wrestlers ever regularly. Yeah. I think he was clumsy and yes, he is clumsy, but God damn, is he also amazing for for me anyway? Like I, I loved how yeah, he definitely had a lot of highs, but as you say, he was he was working with like the three, arguably one, two, three best wrestlers in the world. So 
pretty much anyone would have would have looked at least good in that spot. I thought he looked great. Um, some of his uh, singles matches, like in the mid nineties, especially with with Mazawa, absolutely outstanding for for a guy who is just basically a big big clumsy glute. Um, if you want something that's a mark against Tawei, then you uh, if you look at his Noah run. I I felt the whole thing was was kind of flat, and he really struggled to have good matches. Part of that was his body breaking down, and part of it was that he just didn't have those same great uh, talents to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Yonakayama, I think you can make the argument for him being uh, equally fantastic on his own, whereas I don't think Tawei was. So I completely understand why people haven't voted for him. I am on the fence yeah i so i struggle with tawei simply because i have blind spots in that like i wasn't around to watch all japan 90 in the 90s i wasn't around to watch the prime nowhere era um and i'm 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 currently watching it but i i haven't seen very little prime noah and i've seen very little late your... 90s new japan uh, all japan but from what i if have watched i love picking... it if you're cherry picking your way through Noah, you won't see much tower. <laughs> right, which I guess is a, a big mark against him. <laughs> um, from what I've like drawing wise, he from from the numbers I've seen, he never seemed to be a draw on the level of the other three. But I, did I have think some very company, big, big, yeah, big houses. With with all Japan, I think they were disappointed in the draw when he was uh, singles main eventing with Mizawa, I think they were expecting it to be as much of a draw as the other guys were. And it wasn't quite, I think. I haven't got the numbers in front of me, so I can't I can't look at them. But um, from the way I understood it, they were disappointed that when they gave him his big chance, uh, he wasn't like as good. And basically they gave him his big chance because they kind of fell out of love with Kawada because mm-hmm. they weren't going to push him as... Like the main guy, and then decided not to, <laughs> and, uh, and kind of put him to the back of the queue and push Tawei up instead. I think Tawei struggles for some people in terms of these votes because he is so obviously four for four, and in yeah. some ways you could argue fifth of five if you want to throw Akiyama in there. Obviously, Akiyama slightly, slightly later, um, in that he's still wrestling, for example. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, like, kind of, but for me, the other four are such slam dunks that I think, I think I would with Tawei, but really it comes down to, I need to, you know, I need to get around to watching more of him uh, before I fully make that decision. I mean, I I don't have a vote, so it doesn't actually matter at this point. But Yeah, I, I've argued back and forth as to whether I would vote for him. I think he's a very fringe candidate. Yeah, I don't feel as strongly about him as I do about Akiyama, who I am definitely voting for. So. Oh yeah, Akiyama's a slam dunk, and Tawei's like right on the fence for most people. And it, I think, a lot of it does come down to how high you are, you are on him in ring. If you're if you're a high man on him in ring, then he's done just enough in the other categories that he does deserve to go in. But there are some people that you know do they do fall more on the clumsy side. Didn't quite do it for me was lucky to be in there with three of the five best wrestlers ever or whatever. Um, oh. And so that's, so a lot of it with him is subjective on whether he deserved to come in, I think. 
Yeah, I probably won't vote for him. I think it's a case of uh, spaces, though, because I think I, at the moment I have 10 people listed that I'm voting for, so I'm not allowed 11. I'm allowed 10. But if I had 11, Tower would probably be 11. And that brings us to the end. Um, I... That went a lot longer than I thought it was going to. I thought it was, we were going to struggle to get to an hour and we've done like 2.15. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm very tired. So let's let's wrap this one up quickly. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, you can ask us any questions you want for future episodes at BritRestRound on Twitter or um, you can join the Voices of Wrestling Discord where Brit Rest Roundtable has its own channel and I am in there answering questions whenever they are asked. Um, Arn, you have a website again? Yay, it's back. Um, it's changed, so it's not review anymore. It's uh, currently at arnoldfurious.com. Um, I do not have an ego. Uh, I can also be found on Twitter at arnoldfurious. Nice and easy, both of them to remember because they're the same uh we we hope you enjoyed this episode it's a little different to what we usually do but um yeah i guess we're at the moment we're more passionate about uh wrestling reserve hall of fame than we are about european wrestling that's currently going on because a lot of it's kind of kind of dry um yeah well it, it's things are uh, going cycles so something interesting will happen yeah yeah um bye everyone credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.